Hello there and welcome to Tales for a Sleepless Night. I'm your host, Shake, and today our round of frightening fiction is brought to you by writer Perfect Circle 35. His tale is a classic one known as Mr. Widemouth, and this is being narrated to you by me, yours truly, Shake. And let us dive right in. During my childhood, my family was like a drop of water in a vast river, never remaining in one location for long. We settled in Rhode Island when I was eight, and there we remained until I went and to color college in Colorado Springs. Most of my memories are rooted in Rhode Island, but there are fragments in the attic of my brain which belong to various homes we had lived in when I was much younger. Most of these memories are unclear and pointless, chasing after another boy in the backyard of the house in North Carolina, trying to build a raft, float on the creek behind the apartment we rented in Pennsylvania, and so on. But there is one set of memories which remains as clear as glass, as though they were just made yesterday. I often wonder whether these memories are simply lucid dreams reduced by the long sickness I experienced that spring, but in my heart, I know they are real. We were living in a house just outside the bustling, met bustling metropolis of New Vineyard, Maine, population 643. It was a large structure, especially for a family of three. There were a number of rooms that I didn't see in the five months we resided there. In some ways, it was a waste of space, but it was only the, it was the only house on the market at the time. A lease with a, within a hour's commute of my father's place of work. The day after my fifth birthday, I came down with a fever. The doctor said I had monoculosis, which meant no rough play and a fever for three more weeks. It was a horrible time to be bedridden. We were in the process of packing our things to move to Pennsylvania, and most of my boxes were already packed in my room. My mother brought me ginger, ale, and books several times a day. They served as the only function of entertainment in my primary life. Boredom always loomed just around the corner, waiting to rear its ugly head in the compound of my misery. I don't exactly recall how I met Mr. Widemouth. I think it was about a week after I was diagnosed with mono. My first memory of a small creature was asking him if he had a name. He told me to call him Mr. Widemouth because his mouth was large. In fact, everything about him was large in comparison to his body, his head, his eyes, his crooked ears, but his mouth was by far the largest. You look like a Furby, I said as he flipped through one of my books. Mr. Widemouth stopped and gave me a puzzled look. Furby? What's a Furby? He asked. I struggled. You know, the toy, the little robot with, with the big ears, you, you can pet and feed them, almost like a real pet. Oh, Mr. Widemouth resumed his activity. You don't need one of those. They aren't the same as having a real friend. I remember Mr. Widemouth disappearing every time my mother stopped by to check in on me. I lay under your bed, he later explained. I don't want your parents to see me because I'm afraid they won't let us play anymore. We didn't do much during those first few days. Mr. Widemouth just looked at my books, fascinated by their stories and pictures they contained. The third of the, or the fourth morning after I met him, he said, and he greeted me with a large smile and said, I have a new game we can play. 
he said. We have to wait until your mother comes to check on you because she can't find us playing it. It's a secret game. After my mother delivered more books and soda at the usual time, Mr. Widemouth slipped out from under my bed to my room and tugged at my hand. We have to go to the room at the end of the hallway, he said, as I, I objected at first, as my parents had forbade me from leaving my room without permission, but Mr. Widemouth persisted until I gave in. The room in question had no furniture or wallpaper. Its only distinguishing feature was a window opposite to the doorway. Mr. Widemouth darted across the room and gave me the wind gave me a firm push towards the window, flinging it open as he did. We were on the second story of the house, but it was on a hill, and from this angle the drop was further down than two stories due to the incline. I like to play pretend up here, Mr. Widemouth explained. I pretend that there is a big soft trampoline below this window, and I jump. If you pretend hard enough, you bounce right back just like a feather. I want you to try it. I was five years old with a fever, so a hint of skepticism dart th darted through me as I looked down to and considered the possibility. It's a long drop, I said, but that's all part of the fun. It wouldn't be fun if it was only a short drop. If it was like that, then we would just jump on a real trampoline, you know? Mr. Widemouth's face contorted as I said that I'd rather not and I could get hurt. Anger gave way to disappointment, and he said, if you say so, he spent the rest of the day under my bed, quite as a mouse. The following morning, Mr. Widemouth arrived with a holding a bo small box. I want you to teach me how to juggle, he said. Here are some things you can use to practice before I start giving you lessons. I looked into the box. It was full of knives. My parents will kill me, I shouted, horrified that Mr. Widemouth had brought knives into my room. Objects that are much more dangerous than they seem to be. I'll be spanked and grounded for a year. Mr. Widemouth frowned. It's fun to juggle with these. I want you to give these a try. I pushed the box away. I can't. I'll get in trouble. Knives aren't safe to just throw around in the air. Mr. Widemouth frowned, deepened into a scowl. He took the box of knives and slid under my bed, remaining there for the rest of the day. I began to wonder how often he was underneath me. I started having trouble sleeping after that. Mr. Widemouth often woke me up at, a, at late night saying that he put a real trampoline underneath the window. A big one. The one that he couldn't see in the dark, or neither could I. I always declined and tried to go back to sleep. Mr. Widemouth persisted. Sometimes he stayed by my side until early in the morning, encouraging me to jump. He wasn't so fun to play with anymore. My mother came to me one morning and told me that I could go outside. I put on my sneakers and trotted out to the back porch, yearning for the feeling of sun on my face. Mr. Widemouth was out there waiting for me. I have something I want you to see, he said. I must have given him a weird look because he then later said, It's safe, I promise. I followed him to the beginning of a deer trail which ran through the woods. The house through the house this is an important path he said i've had a lot of friends about your age when they were ready i took them down the path to a special place you aren't ready yet but one day i hope you to take there i returned to the house wondering what kind of place lay beyond the trail two weeks after i met with mr widemouth the last load of her things had been packed into a moving truck I would be in the back of a cab with the truck with my father 
going to a round trip to Pennsylvania. My father and I were in the truck at 4 a.m. He was hopping, hopping things to make sure that we were ready for Pennsylvania by lunchtime tomorrow. With him, he had an endless supply of coffee and a six-pack of energy drinks. He seemed more like a man who was about to run a marathon rather than one who was about to spend two days sitting still. Early enough for you? He asked. I nodded and I placed my head against the window, hoping for some sleep before the sun came up. I felt my father's hand on my shoulder. This is the last move, son. I promise. I know it's hard, been hard working for you, sick as, as all you've been. Once daddy gets promoted, we can settle down and you can make friends. I opened my eyes and we backed out to the driveway. I saw Mr. Widemouth's silhouette in my bedroom window. He stood motionless until the truck was above to turn to the main road. He gave a pitiful little wave goodbye, steak knife in hand. I didn't wave back. Years later, I returned to New Vineyard. The piece of land of the house stood up, burned to a silhouette of what had been a house. Out of curiosity, I followed the deer trail that Mr. Widemouth had shown me. Part of me experienced uh, expected him to jump out and scare the living Jesus out of me, but I felt that Mr. Widemouth was gone, somehow tied to the house that no longer existed. The trail ended at the new Vineyard Memorial Cemetery. I noticed that many of the tombstones were belonging to children there. Welcome back, y'all. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the story. This story is a very dear and deep story to me because this is the first. This is one of my first creepy pastas I've been, I've listened to for the for like three years back, and it's really stuck with me. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you want, you can check out the writer. He's very talented. If you couldn't tell by the story, and. For those of you who want to be premium listeners and you get want to get more out of the podcast, you can subscribe to the Patreon, which will be probably linked somewhere on wherever you're listening this through. Uh, our premium membership starts at three ninety nine, and you get access to my other podcast, uh, which is the Shakecast, a week, uh, a two or three days before it's released. And yeah, we hope you like the story. Every donation from any part or any monetization of any of my shows goes towards charity. This, uh, yeah, this month it's obviously going to the pandemic research for the for tackling the coronavirus. I hope you like the podcast and stay tuned for more content from me. Uh, another note: if you're listening this to this through Anchor FM. Do leave a comment with their commenting feature built in to any part of the podcast. I like every response. I listen to all of them. Thank you again. Goodbye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Okay.